Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. Join my regular co-host here, Carl McGregor. Calm, how you doing, mate? All good, Phil, how's things? All good, can't complain, it's Friday. Uh, and it's a week where United have had another win, of course, against Nicosia and, of course, a win against Everton previous weekend. Uh, I thought they were two very, very good wins. Of course, they won away at Nicosia after Manchester City. I felt it was really important how United responded to that result against Man City more than the result itself, I thought, would have been telling. Uh, lots of other things to talk about. Of course, the fantastic form of Anthony, um, which, i be honest, it's a bit surprised me, but he's been excellent so far. Um We'll talk a little bit about Ten Hag and we'll get an early assessment of him and we'll see what you think and what others think. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about Jim Ratcliffe's comments earlier in the week uh, and a few other things. So, uh, first of all, we'll talk about last night. A uh, bit of a strange game. You know, completely dominated. Couldn't score. Um, in some sense, it was a bit like the first 40 minutes or so against Nicosia away where same thing, dominated the game, couldn't score. Got complacent, gave a stupid goal away. Um, but uh, I would say I have to be negative to start. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say be negative, but to be honest, I don't think if you miss a lot of chances, that's unlucky. I think if you can't finish in football, that's missing the key requisite skill at that level. It's a bit like a fighter that can't knock somebody out. You're not unlucky if you can't knock somebody out. You lack a key skill that will prohibit your growth or your ability to reach the very top. He had missed a lot of chances last night. But overall, um, I'm, I, I can't be too disappointed. To be honest, I disagree in terms of last night. I think there is these games when you just can't score. Like mm. Nine times out of ten, last night we win that game 6-7, 8-0 probably, mm. with the chances that we had. But last night, for whatever reason, we just couldn't score. And when... When a goalkeeper gets himself into that type of form and throughout the game, he just thinks to himself he's unbeatable. Sometimes it almost happens that that goalkeeper becomes unbeatable and then it comes into the point where the strikers and the other team aren't really thinking that they're going to be able to score no matter how many times you try. You look at last night, how many efforts we had. I think it was like 37 shots in total. Mm all in last night and sometimes you just can't score and to get the goal at the end is a plus because obviously you get the three points and that's all that matters at the end of the day especially at this stage of the competition but last night I was actually pleasantly surprised with the chances that we created mm. I mean I know the level of opposition isn't great we should be beating a team like that 6-7-0 no problem we didn't for whatever reason we still got the three points we created a lot of chances yes we didn't finish those chances but that's the type of game where you've shown something. We've shown that, that we can create those chances and we know nine times out of ten we're going to finish those chances. Last night was just an off night. Yeah, there were some truly unbelievable decisions. Um, you know, I look back at the Real Sociedad game where the penalty was given and uh, I look at the game last night where the penalty wasn't given. I'm like, how can you have two situations that are so different either almost identical and two completely different outcomes and we see this in the Premier League where the refereeing is just absolutely unbelievably sh like Rashford's goal last week against Everton fine if we don't want to give it but in the West Ham game the Skimaki goal they counted and after watching it on VAR Marco Silva goes nuts on the sideline because there's no consistency to any of this. 
You're going, even the most blatantly obvious decisions that aren't given, and you're going, I, I, I don't understand what I'm watching anymore. I, I genuinely don't. And, uh, and, and how you can, I, I can understand this, the, the nuanced decisions with VAR fine, but there's so many of them where I just have no idea what I'm watching anymore, especially when it comes to handball. Um, so a couple of decisions that didn't go United's way, they could have went their way, that might have made a, a different outcome. And there's no defend right to win these games. I mean, Neil Lennon's picked a team that says, just surrender possession to Manchester United, sit deep, and if we can keep it tight and get a, get a win or get a draw or whatever, great. United have had poor results at home before against teams they should beat. Um, and it's not always easy to beat a team you really should beat, especially when they sit in deep. Um, I still think United should have put that game out of sight long before they did. But overall, I'm sitting looking at Ten Hag going, since Brantford, six wins out of seven. Lose to Man City, beat Liverpool, beat Arsenal, beat Everton away. Could United, I mean, with the exception of the first two games, and even that first game looks different now when you look at how well Brighton have been playing. Um, you look at that Brantford game, to me, the Brantford and Man City games are two games that that, that, are, that stand out terribly. But the Brantford, for me, was worse than City, because City can do it to anyone. Overall, what's your early assessments of Ten Hag? I think... Like you've said, those those first two games kind of set a a precedent amongst the squad that Ten Hag wouldn't accept this. We've seen that that run that he done. We've seen that the decisions he's made on the back of those games, which to me have been good decisions. For example, not throwing Casemiro into it just because who Casemiro mm-hmm. is, keeping Scott McTominay in the team because he's played well enough to keep himself in the team. Ten Hag's shown that throughout his appointment that he doesn't care who you are. It's mm-hmm. obvious with the Ronaldo situation. He's not going to bow down to anyone. If you play well enough, you're going to make yourself a mainstay in this team. I think with the exception of Bruno, who in my opinion is getting a lot of stick recently, but he's still popping up everywhere. He's doing the dirty work at the minute. He's not, okay, he's not chipping in with goals and assists like he previously has been. So he's going to get a bit of criticism, especially from fans, which is understandable. He hasn't been playing as good as what he has previously for us, with the exception of him in that squad, because really I think you know there's an argument that he could be dropped. Other other than Bruno at the minute, Ten Hag's really stamped down his authority on this team. We we actually play like a team now, which is something that last year we were crying out for. We were a team of individuals with no cohesion whatsoever, whereas this season we're actually seeing a proper team. Ten Hag has brought something different to this squad, and I like what I'm seeing so far. Obviously, the, those games that you said, with the exception of, of City, because City, as you've just said, can do that to anyone. But that Brentford and Brighton game, they, they were bad. They were really mm-hmm. bad. I didn't know where we were going to go from there. But the turnaround from then has been great. And to be perfectly honest with you, we're we're probably, with with the exception of that Brentford and Brighton game, one of the most informed teams in the league. Obviously, forget about the, the, the City game. In my opinion, I think that we've came on leaps and bounds. And, and I, honestly, I think we'll finish top four. You know, it doesn't didn't seem like it at the time, but that Brantford result may be one of the most important results in United's season because it brought about change. And it, it changed United's transfer targets from Rabiot and Arnautovic to an Anthony and Casemiro. Right, it changed everything at that moment. Um, and yes, I know what happened against City. That shouldn't happen. Um, but I feel like 
those results offend Eric Ten Hag more than they've offended any other manager where he felt, even when United are winning games, I'm listening to what Ten Hag's saying after it, where he's not getting caught up in the fact that United won. He's almost looking at a victory as a defeat in how they go about looking at the videos after the game and saying, we need to look at this like we lost and, and still learn from the things that um, made this game harder for us to win. He recognises that it's not about two, three years from now. It's about right now. And winning right now and also making sure you're good enough to, 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 to be around for two, three years just to realise your vision. He knows how important it is to win now. Um, and every reaction to a defeat, if you look at that Brantford reaction, right, like, like I've just said, it changed everything, right? Plus that infamous Ten Hag coming in, running 12 minutes with his players, which I think was fantastic. Then you look at the reaction to sitting. United have won every game since they lost the sitting. You know, uh, I think how you react to setbacks is far more telling to me than, than the setback itself. Also, like you pointed out, if you take a look at um, how many times substitutes are coming on the field and scoring, I mean, Ronaldo comes on the field, scores against Everton, and Conley does it last night. Right? These are players that are desperate to come in and play for this shirt to make sure they get it back. They're not getting in that team because they don't, they don't get three months of bad form. They don't get in this team because they cost a lot of money or because of their reputation or anything else. It's all about how have you played today? And no, no greater example than that than Malasia losing his place. Malasia had one and a half bad games and he got dropped. That's exactly what should be happening at a club that says in Manchester United. But just on that Malassia point, is Malassia your first choice left back or do you think Shaw's worked his way back in? And that, to me, is an unbelievable problem to have because yeah. previous, we didn't have that. Now now I can ask you that question seriously. Is Malassia your number one or I don't is know. Shaw? We, we don't know. Uh, the, the, but the thing is, the standard to be in the team has been raised. So whoever pick takes the shirt, will take it not because they're rotating, because they're trying to find the player in form, but because that player's better than the other player, and that standard is very high. So I've seen plenty in both of them to give me tremendous encouragement. Neither are perfect, um, but uh, very, very encouraging from what I've seen from both of them so far. So um, I like, I, 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 I'd be interested to see what happens when Wan-Bissaka gets a game or two, is he capable of raising his game to a particular level? Because Dallas, I think, has been magnificent. Not perfect, but I think he's been very, very good. This is the best Dallow we've ever seen at United. And um, he gives United something going forward that Wan-Bissaka doesn't, unfortunately. And I think when you look at what Ten Hag was saying about two players for every position, which is what United badly need, That'll be something you know, they'll have to address eventually and, of course, the forward position at some point. But, um, I, I, I mean, I think the same question, even if you look at centre-back, Lindelof, to me, is the third-choice centre-back at the moment. And I, and I don't think he... he I, th I think he's been excellent in, in his last two games. I agree. And, I mean, just touching on that Dallow point, Dallow has been very, very good, right? Especially going forward. But defensively, he's still a liability. And you can see that at points of different games where you've went, well, we mm. definitely need another right back. Is it going to come to the point where one, Wambasaka comes back and he's a different player because he's he's been coached by Ten Hag and that, that group and it, there's a difference to his game, which may happen. But if it doesn't, 
that's somewhere I think we need to strengthen because Dallow isn't good enough to be your first choice right back. He's been great. Don't get me wrong. He's been thrown into the deep end. He has been great. I still don't think he's the starting right back for Manchester United. The same way we need another striker. We know Ronaldo's not going to last forever. Other than Ronaldo, the options are a bit bleak. Now, Martial has looked better when he's came in. Again, can he stay fit? It doesn't look like it. Riceford also has looked great, but then... There's games where Riceford goes five games with nothing, and that's where we need someone else in there, and that's obviously something that needs to be looked at, and hopefully it's looked at in January. But again, with an impending takeover or whatever's going to happen, it's unlikely that we'll do business in January. I don't see Nelly doing anything in January, but we'll get into that. Um, yeah, look, I think... Um, is Dallow the right-back for a title win in Manchester United team? I don't know, but United are not there yet. And so before I think they fixed that problem, they've got other problems, I agree that there's some vulnerabilities. But then I think about most right-backs and going, how many right-backs are perfect? How many right-backs are perfect going forward, perfect defensively? Not many. But there's so, a balance. Do you know what I mean? No, there is a balance. a balance. There's definitely a balance. I mean, the best teams that win the league, I mean, Kyle Walker, probably not exceptional going forward. Um, decent going forward. Um, so he's decent going forward, decent defending, not exceptional either. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold's decent going forward, horrendous defending. Wan-Bissaka's brilliant defending, not great going forward. So there's always one strength that always seems to be much better than the other. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just giving three examples, but there's you know there's other very, very good right-backs, of course, that uh, I rate really highly. Um, but um, I think it, it's hard to get that perfect right-back because it's, it's just such a diverse position now like it, there's so much of it is about being in the opposition's half and giving you an alternative going forward and it seems like the old-fashioned defender is gone uh, and, and so that position has changed dramatically and it's almost challenging look short change in left back to become from a defender to someone that gets forward a lot so um I I, I I think that's something you need to address. In terms of McTominay, I think we mentioned this in the show, there was some question marks after the was it the City game, um, why McTominay was playing ahead of Casemiro, which to me is absolutely unbelievably stupid. Um, McTominay once again showed last night why he's so important to United, especially from set pieces in the box. He's... he's He's brilliant defensively, um, gives United height defensively, um, gives them something that very few other players in that team give them in terms of height and presence. He's not glamorous, but Scott McTominay is a very, very important player for Manchester United. I think Scott McTominay's stock has rose so much this season. Now, as you said, there's people still criticising him and criticising Ten Hag for playing Casemiro ahead of him. But Scott McTominay didn't put a foot wrong apart from one game and every player's allowed a game off. And in terms of what he's done this season for Manchester United, he brings a level of physicality that no one else in that midfield position seems to bring. He breaks up play well. He's Decent going forward with the ball as well. Like if you're you're thinking about the goals that Scott McTominay's chipped in over the past two seasons, some of them important goals like last night, and he, he's got very good at getting himself into good positions in and around the box. And I think that's something that's came along with this game since Ten Hag's came in as well. Because last night you seen him whenever he came on. Obviously we're chasing the game, so he's going to be seen in that box. But it was almost like that arriving late, like Lampard done throughout his time that like he arrived late into the box and I could see Scott McTominay in that role we look last night at Fred and Casemiro and again I, I touched on this before I think Fred's a good people get on Fred's back very quick I think Fred's a good player 
I think he is. I think there's definitely a player in there. He plays alongside Casemiro for Brazil. Brazil don't start those two just for the sake of starting Fred. Fred's a good player, whether we like it or not, or whether we've seen it or not, it's another thing. I think he's a good player, but with Scott McTominay in the team, he brings something else to what Fred gives you, gives you in there. Now, Casemiro also brings something different, and his, like, the, the balls that Casemiro can play and the vision that Casemiro has in midfield is, like, nothing else that we have in there. So he brings that different side to Scott McTominay, but Casemiro's also physical. Could it be that we see those two in a holding two at some point? I think so. You know, I can't remember a season where I've fallen in love so quickly with the signings that the football club has made. And Ten Hag and United were given a lot of criticism over the summer for letting Ten Hag essentially run the recruitment. Um, it's hard for me to describe how much I love watching Lissandra Martinez. Christian Eriksen. I mean, this is a team that I disliked last season. This is a team where most of the players I didn't like. I didn't like watching them. I wanted to strangle them every week. Um, I, I wasn't enjoying watching United. There was very few redeeming characteristics about Manchester United at all last season that um, that you could cling to. But this is a team that I like. This is a team consistent of players that I really like. You know, I like Malasia. I really, I, I, I love Ericsson. You know, I, you know, I look at some of these. Oops, sorry, I look at some of these players that have come in. I mean, Lissandro Martinez. Where would you get another player like Lissandro Martinez? I mean, it's truly unbelievable how consistently excellent he has been. And I would put him up there with the likes of Holland as being one of the best signings in the Premier League. Um, I think he has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, the problems that he solved, Christian Eriksen, I mean, my God, well, it's just a privilege to watch him play football every week. And on and on with Anthony, Jesus Christ, I mean, Anthony scored again at Everton. I had question marks about him, I'll be honest. Given I still have question marks about him, to be honest. Well, I, of course, but his start has been unbelievable. Fantastic. And in many ways, doesn't help Jadon Sancho's argument about being a young player coming in, settling in the Premier League and trying to adjust the pace right away. I know not all things are the same. Um, but uh, And I you know, reservously defended Jadon Sancho. Um, but uh, the only thing about Anthony is that he he's playing right wing and all he can do is cut inside on his left. So going, there's going to come a time when a very good left back has him in his back pocket because he can't play any. He he's he's never going to be able to be sent down the line. That's what they'll do once they send him down the line and he has to use his right foot. He snookered. We seen it last night on that on that cross that he he tried to play in and his, his right foot were standing on. That's where I think that you know Anthony. You, you've said there that you've been very impressed. I actually mm. haven't been that impressed. He scored a couple of good goals, don't get me wrong. He's, has he chipped in with any assists yet? I can't even think off the top of my head, but he's not You're really... a high bar boy. He's only been here No, I'm, t- I'm telling you. Three Premier no, League no, no, games. No, you know, he scored in all three of them against Liverpool, against Everton, against City. For, for 80, 80, million, 80 million, though. What you've paid for him, you're you're expecting this yeah, once he comes in. Well, no, I'm not no. even. I'm not actually even playing devil's advocate here because I know I do that in this podcast sometimes. I genuinely, I think like he's been good. Don't get me wrong, he's been good, but I, I'm not going to say he's been unbelievable. I'm not going to say that his performances have put you know something, a different light. Maybe this, maybe that's me being harsh, but no, I think this is a reflection of what Ronaldo and Messi has done to football, um, to where the level of world class is completely skewed now. I. Now we're going to see it with Holland. In any other generation, any other era, that would be unbelievable. 
that would be a fantastic start. That I mean, you, Messi didn't do that at PSG, right? When he went, and it didn't define him. So it's a very you know we keep hearing the Premier League is the most difficult league in the world, and I honestly feel like when I'm watching Casemiro that he needs to adjust to the pace of the Premier League. Although he's playing in different positions, so you, it's much more prone to being caught in possession and what have you. Um, and I believe that that's a thing that you need to adjust to the Premier League that it takes time. And everyone else, I mean, we're talking about Jack Grealish played in that position, the hundred million. We're talking about Nicholas Pepe plays there, no problems. We'll give them time. We'll give them time. And now we're saying, well, if Anthony's not scoring in every single game, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. He needs to be creating assists. The assist relies on someone else finishing your chances. This is why I hate these things, expected goals, which is just the most utter bullshit metric that's ever existed in football. Because, so when you're taking into consideration expected goal, are you taking into consideration the breeze? Are you taking into consideration the 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 uh, position of the sun? Are you taking into consideration the divots? Are you taking into consideration the time of the chance came? Because obviously a player's got fatigue more than he would have the first minute versus the, all the trillions of variables that goes into whether there's an equivalency between one chance and another, and whether you should even expect a goal. This is nonsense, right? So there's so many metrics that are brought in today that that have no relevance in whether we how we evaluate a football. In my opinion, if a kid comes into the Premier League and scores in all three of his goals, got, he's got Liverpool, Man City, um, and Everton as your first three games, and you score in all three of them, I'll, I'll forgive his, his his lack of assists. Maybe maybe I'm miles off it in saying that he's he's not been. He's not wowed me, is what I'm saying. So maybe I am meds off it and saying that. Maybe that's due to the fact that I've I've watched the players that you've said. But I think Anthony is very one-dimensional in what he does. He gets down the, the right side. He moves onto his left foot. He crosses into the box or he takes on a player and he shoots. That's it. That's all he's really given. He hasn't done anything where I've went, Would you say Beckham was one-dimensional? You could say that. But what... what 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 my point is on on this is that, you know, you said there it doesn't really help Jaden Sancho's argument. Doesn't. In what regard? Because I think Sancho again, yes, over the past few games he's fell off. At the start of the season, he actually looked all right. No, he I have okay. defended him. I I I I I rate him really highly. But it whenever you've got a young kid coming in from the Eredivisie from Holland, playing his first couple of games in the Premier League and scores three and three, it. You know, and I and I'm, I'm willing to accept that not all things are the same. Completely different. Um, you know, so so maybe it's not a fair comparison. And I rate Jaden Sancho really highly and think he'll be a top player for Manchester United. Um, in many ways, what it does do is it demonstrates how brilliant, rather than how poor Sancho's uh, uh, adjustment was, how incredible Anthony's was, and how hard that is to do. I mean. Uh, there's a reason why no Manchester United player in the history of the football club's ever done it, because it's extremely hard to do. So if you'd have turned around to me and said, "Okay, his first three games, he's going to score his first three. I, I wouldn't expect, I wasn't expecting him to score three by Christmas. I'll be honest. Um, so the fact that he's done that in his first three Premier League games, good goals too, very similar goals. Right? I mean, his one against City was a fantastic goal. So. Saying he's a one-trick pony, there's lots of players that are not 
supremely talented in terms of a box of tricks, but are very difficult to stop. I mean, Lewandowski is not going to skin you alive with beating you, but, he, but he's, he'll, he'll batter you. Erlen Holland isn't going to turn around and skip past six players, but he'll batter you. Yeah, I didn't say he was a one-trick pony. I said he was one-dimensional. And as a winger, I think, especially as a winger who's left-footed playing on the right-hand side, you cannot be one-dimensional because once your card's been worked out, you're in trouble. So my point is, is that Okay, yes, he's he's had a, a decent start, three goals in three games. On the whole, he hasn't really wowed me in terms of his all round play. Yes, these goals have been great. I, I'm maybe I am being very critical. Now you're saying it. I'm so who would you head. say? I am being critical. Curious as a winger has been better than than Anthony because I I, I I'm only asking you in the, in I, mean, the Premier I, want, League? I want to know what to expect. Like if you say what what winger has been showing you the qualities that Anthony hasn't. Can't think off the top of my head, but if we're talking about wingers in the past who have been very, very good in the Premier no, no, League, no, 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 the present. You look at talk about the present. Okay. Like what, what well, wingers? That's, that's are, a... What wingers? What club has the wingers that are doing the things that Anthony aren't isn't doing? <clears throat> Real Maris is isn't one dimensional. Is my point. So he's he's not the type of person who can just cut and said yes, yes. That is a big part of his game because him and Anthony would be similar enough players. But Real Maris had so much into his game where Anthony. Down that, down that right side, you, you almost know what he's going to do before he does it. So if I know it, the left-back's going to know it. So how has three clubs, top clubs in the Premier League, who know what he's going to do before he do it, not been able to stop him? Well, that's it. He's only just signed, hasn't he? But, so the, but, the, but, 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 yeah, but it doesn't take, I mean, in this day and age, you play one game, everyone knows all about you. I mean, Anthony didn't come from the moon. I mean, he was well scouted, so City would have been well aware of him. Liverpool would have been well aware of him. In fact, there was rumours that Liverpool wanted to buy him before he came to United. So they would have known him inside out. City would have known him inside out. And I'm pretty sure Frank Lampard would not have been going into that game, given that that was the third game that Anthony would have scored in. Wouldn't have a game plan to come up with him and say, OK, we know he's going to play. This is how he plays. This is how we're going to stop him. If, if I'm rating our signings from the summer... He's not in, in my top three. Isn't is so? If you're Lissandro Martinez, okay, right, is my number one signing. The number two signing is Malasia, and my number three signing is Casemiro. So I'd have Anthony four. You would have Casemiro ahead of Anthony. Yep, in terms of my signings from the summer, who what I think you on, him, I'm telling you. I th- I think By the way, Riyad Mahrez has scored one goal this season playing for a Manchester City team. <coughs> no assists. Yes, who, who he hasn't started for. So he scored one goal, no assists. But he, High on earth is that in even the same hemisphere as what Anthony has done? But you're you're basing it off. No, <laughs> no, I'm no, asking no, you because you're, you're the one making the argument that Riyad Mahrez is doing stuff that Anthony isn't. What is it? No, but I, I'm talking about in general, Riyad Mahrez's game. I'm not talking about th- this season. But that's what I was saying. Make game. it about this season. I, because that's the only fair comparison. Because I could go back 20, 50 years and give you as Nat Lofthouse's stats. <clears throat> but again, like what what I've said is is that I haven't watched enough of Riyad Mahrez to say this season he's he's been better than Anthony. The only team I really but that's watched the only comparison that matters. Anthony didn't play in the Salah, Premier League last season. Salah, Salah's another one plays exact same position as Anthony on the right hand side. So you would be aware that Salah's been dreadful of, for of, Liverpool all season. Yeah, no, but he, he came up with this. Yeah, but he scored three goals. The other night, yeah. So there's the talking, three goals. We're, we're talking about the Premier League over games. That's what talking, game. I'm talking. I'm talking about in the Premier League, the most competitive league in the world. <clears throat> well, the Champions League is we'll a higher standard than the Premier League normally, though. So. No, it's 
the the Champions League, there's a higher standard than the. If you ask ten, are you telling me right now that Rangers? No, Liverpool have played I, against I Rangers. That. Well, that's the only game you're that. talking about. Salah scored a hat against Rangers. What I you tell me is that Rangers was in general. So what standard, the, standard is he playing against? Champions League okay, but he played against Rangers. And he scored a hat trick against Rangers because that's well, the I, only thing. So are you tell me that Rangers are even on a, on a, on the level of a Premier League team. I think Rangers and Celtic are both on the level of plenty of Premier League teams. I think both of them teams okay. are on the level yeah. of the same level as the, the likes of Brentford. Not so much Brighton. Everton. There's another team, Bournemouth. Fulham. Okay, we'll never know. Celtic and never, They're never good enough to qualify for the Champions League, but. Um, but Celtic and Rangers are both on the same level as those teams. Whether we like it or not, that's a fact. If Celtic and Rangers come into the Premier League, they would finish in a much stronger position than Bournemouth. All right, well, that's all speculation. That's all speculation. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you for facts. Give me facts that Riyad Mahrez has done stuff that Dantley hasn't, and I can't see it. Personally, I'd rather have a winger that scored three goals than one that scored one. But just my view. Uh, let's move on to a couple of other things. Um... So I want to talk a little bit about um, Jim Ratcliffe's comments. <clears throat> I, I honestly I didn't see them right away because I'm still not feeling a hundred percent with fucking COVID yet, um, and um, I'm still not a hundred percent over it. I saw it the next day, and I've got about three hundred messages on my phone. So I haven't really done much on this in the last few weeks, as you know. Um, all I can tell you is myself along with a lot of other journalists, and I'm not a journalist, but a lot of other exceptional journalists, were given exceptional information. I mean, I must have asked a thousand times, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? And the repeated deluge of information um, that's come my way um, since that has come out makes it hard for me to believe that anything other than the Glazers soliciting offers for the football club was taking place. Also, two of the individuals that I talked to found it quite odd when Jim Ratcliffe came out the first time and declared his interest and said that he wanted to get involved because typically the correct response of interest of parties is to do the opposite, is to deny it's for sale because obviously you don't want to ignite uh, an auction, you don't want to bring other offers to the table that would consume yours or whatever. Um is to not say, is to say the opposite, is to not come out publicly and do this publicly and say it's for sale. Um, I don't think the owners would appreciate that. I don't think that's a good way of coming out and fast on a relationship with potential people you want to buy from. Um, and, you know, do the Glazers want to sell? Probably not. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to keep the football club and, it's, uh, and continue to milk it. But what's not? Let's deal with what isn't speculation. Let's deal with what is fact. What is fact is that the Glazers cannot continue to own Manchester United in its current guise. They can't, they can't fund it. They can't fund it to even do the basics. They badly need money. So they, it's irrefutable. They've been offering parts of the football club to potential buyers, which has not met with the requisite interest because no one has, has done that and no one's willing to give them money to continue to fund a football club where they're the most toxic element. So unless that happens, and I'm sure they're looking at all the other Americans owning the Premier League teams and not wanting to give Manchester United up, um, but the the bottom line is they need money. Eric Ten Hag needs money. The football club needs money, and United don't have that money. If you look at United's commercial revenue, 
and 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 the fact that Ronaldo had zero impact on it, the game was up. United can no longer use gimmicks to generate revenue. It's absolutely now inseparable between having success on the field and and that having a correlation between United's revenue. They can no longer uh, uh, skin that cat any other way than winning trophies. So they're at that point, and that's the hardest point, that, that they don't know how to do that. Is, is, it, is it fair for me to say, though, these, these Jim um, Ratcliffe comments, right, could be used in Jim Ratcliffe's position that he is wanting to buy the Manchester United? Because like, you, can't, you can't play your hand and say, oh, I'm 100% going to buy it. They're going to sell. Could this be a tactic he's deploying, do you think? Well, he's the, he's the only potential buyer that's being asked about this on the record. And I don't understand why it would be in his interest to come out and say United are for sale and, and we're in the process of trying to buy them. Because it's obvious that that's going to alert other potential buyers. So I'm not saying that what he's saying is incorrect. I'm just saying that there's people who are very close to him that are briefing something very different and have been briefing it very different for a while. And I'm not talking about to me, I'm talking about the people that know more about this than me. I'm talking about people at Bloomberg. I'm talking about people that work in the financial sector who I've spoken with. Um, and these are not people that indulge in football speculation. They don't care about football speculation. It's not their game. Um, and there's been so many times in the past when this stuff has, become, has come my way where I felt I have to countenance the desire to want to believe this. Then, and then making sure you do the due diligence to make sure it lines up. So, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of journalists out there that have been given this information, and they, of course, have done the same thing that I've done and uh, published it. And you can only do that with confidence, and I have tremendous confidence in the quality of that information that <coughs> I, at the time, July, no, August, um, was 100% correct, and I still believe that to be the case. I still believe it to be 100% correct. I still believe that the Glazers will not own Manchester United um, by the end of the season, whether that's a, part, a dilution of the ownership with the view to taking it over completely, or whether that's selling the football club in its, in its, you know, in its entirety. But... You know, you're saying that if it doesn't sell it in the entirety, then what what are the options? Where where does this leave Manchester United fans who won want the Glazers out of this club ASAP? I can't think of one Manchester United fan that wants them to stay. So why do they want to stay so much? Whenever there's going to be offers on the table, they know they'll make the money back. The fans don't want them there. It's it's untenable their position because no one wants them there and they don't want to be there. Um, just to address a point. On this. I'm not saying Anthony is better than Salah. I'm asking what has Salah done this season that Anthony hasn't. So your minions are coming out supporting you. But no, no, no. On to, to go back to this point, um, the Glazers don't care whether United fans want them or not. They never have. The Glazers care about whether they can still make money. They don't care how you feel. They care about what you do. But are Manchester United profitable for the Glazers? Probably not. Look at look at well, everything. Well, no, 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 no. They're definitely the not nigh, and they need to sell the football club or well, that's, generate that's revenue. The point. Yes, so how but, are they going to do that? And what, what do you mean, how are they going to do that? How are they, how are they going to generate revenue? Because you said they either sell the club or generate revenue. Well, they can't generate revenue. They've exhausted all avenues. So to primarily, what the only way to do that, really, is by selling off future revenues. 
uh, by selling the stadium name, by doing things that are deeply unpopular. Um, or, of course, by diluting your ownership of the football club by selling a part of it and bringing somebody else in. But no one else wants to do that unless there's a view to ban the football club in its entirety. Um, you know, most people don't want to give up £700 million just because, uh, you know, to, to say they own a part of Manchester United with no voting rights or anything else. So um, if there was appetite for that, we'd have seen it already. And that already would have happened. I mean, the Glazers have been selling off parts of Manchester United for non-voting rights for a long time. You know, they did it a year and a half ago where, when they when they took out 130 million. But do so, you not think that the point this came where you have to wash your hands? If you're the Glazers, you have to wash your hands of this now and you have to say, you know what, the time's up, we're going to have to leave. This is the point where, one, we're going to get some sort of financial settlement for Manchester United, which, which you're always going to get. But at the moment... You're not losing any more money. Walk away. The fans don't want you there. No Here, one wants you there. Here's the thing. It's a double-edged sword. So with the financial markets being where they're at, for anyone that relies on credits, for anyone that relies on overdraft, for anyone that relies on debt, you're in big trouble. Right? This is this, you, So either you have capital to fund your business or you're borrowing at a much higher rate than what you were previously. And the last time this happened, around 2009, 2010, the Glazers very, almost very, very close. Same as ve- just avoided the Hicks and Gillette situation by about a few months by refinancing. So the cost of funding the football club going forward has increased. So with financial uncertainty, with when you've got things going on in the UK, like uh, people can't afford to heat their houses and buy food, what do you think is going to happen to football tickets and things like that? What do you think is going to happen to football shirts and all the other ancillary things that they rely on disposable income for? All that's going to get hit. So sponsorship revenue is going to come down, right? Um, television revenue, all that will change. This is this is a really serious situation financially. So then the problem comes if the, your potential buyers are going to be cash-rich people, not the nicest people in the world. The people who don't rely on that type of revenue uh, generation, uh, 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 that type of those type of um, you know levers, if you want to call them that, to, to to run the football club. So this is a very precarious situation. Swell was with a drop in the pound, which has now made United cheaper for any farm. Uh, if you're an American, you want to buy Manchester United. Why wouldn't you let them bleed for a while? Because financially, things are not going to get any better if you need it for a while. Does a new ownership mean that there's going to be an injection of cash into this club? Or does the current economic climate mean that any owner that comes into this club, one, probably isn't going to spend money like has been done in previous years when owners take over clubs? And two, that maybe the stadium rebuild is going to take longer than anticipated? Look... I wouldn't say that a new owner guarantees tremendous um, investment, even if they're multi-billionaires. You need only look at Arsenal for that. Right? I mean, Stan Kroenke's wife is richer than he is. Stan Kroenke's wife, and Stan Kroenke is a multi-multi-multi-multi-billionaire. And his wife is the heiress to Walmart. Walmart have a, a generate more revenue than a lot of countries. I mean, it's, it's outrageous how much money they have. They could throw $5 billion at Arsenal around an arrow to them that would completely change that football club and make no impact on their life 
and you and it wouldn't it wouldn't cause an issue. But they don't. So there's no guarantee that whoever comes into United will do that. But I would expect that someone like Jim Ratcliffe would do that. Would would invest in the football club, which it so badly needs. I don't see United ever catching Man City while the Glazers are owners of this football club. Do you think it, it's reasonable to say that there's a chance we will with new owners, or again, is it? Yeah, with new owners, of course. Going to come in? Look, Manchester United are faced with the same dilemma that every other Premier League club is faced with. How on earth do you catch a, a football club that has no limits, right? That has no deterrent, that can do whatever it wants, whenever it wants. That that isn't dealing with financial restrictions that other football clubs and human beings are dealing with. That's a really big problem, and so. United are going to have to come up with a way of dealing with that. And if they weren't having all this revenue taken out, make no mistake about it, Calm. money's the, 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 the factor that determines whether you're successful or not. I mean, there's a reason. If, if those owners, if Man City owners had bought Leighton Orient, Leighton Orient would be challenged for a Premier League title right now. Right? No question about that. So the only way to catch Manchester City is to provide another football club with a similar level of expenditure. Where not just are you competing in terms of buying players, you know, of similar quality, but you're competing for the same players, so they don't get every world class player that's on the market. Just on them comments, though, does that mean that you think that financial fair play should have more stringent laws than it currently does in order to, to make it a more fair playing field? Or am I of saying course, that just as a, no. a Manchester United fan that's annoyed that we're not on the same level financially as Manchester City? The current financial fair play rules are are laughable. Right, most of those rules are not even legally enforceable, um, and so any financial fair play rule that didn't tackle that is not worth the paper it's written on, and it never tackled that. So it was a it was a an impediment. It was a competitive impediment. That was all it ever was. And City signed up for it, ignored it, and laughed and walked away. All the football clubs got punished. Um, so to me, there, the, the, there's no utility to them and. I'm not saying that as United fan. United clearly owners like United owners wanted these rules brought in, right? To, for because pushing up the price of players, wages, everything else, um, and wanted to create competitive barriers, just like they want to do with the Super League. So I think um, for the, the, when you look at the problems with United and everybody else, it's just a massive failure of governance. Um, and and for, for for football, it'll be so spineless to let this happen. Um, and by the way, I've said this many times, whatever precedent is set at United will visit your club too, as other football fans are finding out. So no matter how despicable the Glazers are, whatever they get away with, it'll come to your club too. So so moving forward then, do you think that, and, and I'll, we'll finish on the, the Glazers point because I think we're labouring on this a bit, but do you think that there is a possibility that this club sold before the end of the year? Or do you think that it's not... Because originally, whenever we spoke, you thought there was a chance maybe in January that new owners right, could come in. Or do you, think it's, do you think it's more reasonable to say probably at the end of the season, over the summer? I think it depends on a number of different factors. I think it depends on the continued direction of the financial markets. I think it depends on United's form. If United start tanking... The pressure will get turned up on the Glazers. That would make it extremely difficult for them. This is a big season for United financially in terms of qualifying for the Champions League, in terms of the revenue for their sponsors. With Adidas, remember this Adidas deal is up 2024. Um, so that will start getting negotiated in the next few months. So where United are at will determine 
Adidas's appetite to continue doing business with them. If you remember, United lost a Nike deal because Nike didn't feel it was worth what United were asking. It would be a really bad look if that happened again with Adidas. So I think um, these next couple of months are absolutely crucial. Uh, if the Glazers have any intention any realistic hope of holding on to this football club on the long term. You need it have to be well within the top four and you need it have to be in a feel-good position where the fans aren't wanting to tear the stadium down. If that's not the case, then I don't see how any other way they can ride out the pressure. I see a comment there from someone saying that they haven't heard many Glazer out shouts in a while, a few no, wins. So it's not. It's definitely not true because the nineteen fifty eight have a have a protest planned uh, for the Newcastle game as well. But I mean, obviously, like they, these are obviously people that are jumping on from other clubs and other fans that, that are saying things. I guess there's definitely still Glazer out chance. Every single game you hear it, everyone wants the Glazers out, and I think that's a, an easy cop out for other people as well. Yeah, it's just mischaracterization. There's no question that numbers will swell when United are not doing well because there's always going to be a fringe element that will, you know, their mood's determined by what they're seeing on the pitch. But there's a core element that never changes whether United make new signings, whether they win games. They were protesting after United won the league, you know, so um, you want to be fair to the fans because fans, especially over the last couple of years, have been extremely consistent. And, um, you know, things are not bad right now. I mean, but still United fans are protesting. And that's and I heard them at the weekend. I heard them against Nicosia. Um, so, yeah, I, I, those, those, have, those have continued. Um, obviously, looking towards the weekend, what do you think in terms of this Newcastle game? What, what do we have to do in order to mm. beat Newcastle at the weekend and, and beat them comfortably? Because you would expect that we will. I don't expect that we'll beat them comfortably. I mean, they're a point. They're, they're right behind us in the league. They're, they're, and and that's a that's a decent, more than decent Newcastle team. I mean, I don't have... think I don't think they are more than decent in terms of what what they've now. Okay, they've looked okay over the last couple of weeks, but there's no players in that team that I can look at and say that that they have any sort of player that's going to impact hit four the game. And five back back to back. Yeah, in two oh, yeah. two games against two two poor enough teams. One team was down to ten men. I think I'm written saying as well. The last team they played, well, they, played, they beat Brantford from early they, on. They beat Brantford. They battered United. They beat Fulham right away from home. Almiron and uh, Bruno Guimaraes has been excellent for them. Um, you know they they have quality. I mean, I watched them against Liverpool. I thought they were really unlucky against Liverpool. Uh, Isak scored. Uh, I I I that that, that team. We're three one up against Man City and should have beat Man City, you know because I mean they they. Uh, but they, they didn't they, because they've yeah. no minerals and that's my point. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, considering how United played against Man City and how they did, um, I would have taken three eights because they hit United for six, they hit Newcastle for three, and they pulled it back well last uh, towards the end. That's a very very difficult game for United, and I think United. I think these games are a much greater test of United than a City game, because I really think this is more where United, this is a more commensurate rival at the moment. Um, I, I think if United can win a game like this, if they beat them, um, that will go so significantly towards giving me more confidence that United are really on a legitimate direction that I think we could say goodbye to two, three months of bad form. I don't think we'll see it under Ten Hag. Um, so I, th I think United will win there at home. 
I, th- I think we'll win. I think we'll win three or four. I think it'll be easier than what you, you think it's going to be. Maybe maybe I'm being ridiculous again, but that's just my take on it. I think other than Bruno in midfield for, for Newcastle, they're not really a great side. Trippier's been good as well, but other than that, Isak up front, average enough striker. I, th- I don't think they offer too much in terms of some of the other teams we've played against. Well, we'll I could see. be wrong again because we struggled to beat Omni last night, obviously, but I think if we create the chances we created last night, we'll be three four. Omnia last night. Ammonia. Ammonia, Omnia, potato, patata, same thing. All right, man. All right, we mind. Have a great weekend, uh, mate. Yes, thanks, you too, mate. Thanks, you thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast, following all that there. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll be back next week. Cheers, folks. <coughs> See you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>